foremost, I'm gonna ask if you have a cell phone that you grab it with your left hand and put it in the air like you just don't care. Get your get your phones. Get your phone. Damn, y'all don't got phones? No, some of y'all aren't holding your phones up. We are, yeah, hold up. Yeah, don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. If you got a phone, put it in your left hand. Put it in your left hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Greets, greets, greets. So what we're going to do here is this, right? If you can put that joint in silence, right? So if you got an iPhone, you do the low switch, right? You do the low switch. If you have an Android, you press the low button a couple times and it'll be silent. Now put it back in the air. 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 Hey man, put your phones back in there. Come on, y'all. Y'all ain't tired. Y'all, y'all ain't tired. Great. Next step is you gotta put it in do not disturb. Do not disturb. If you got an iPhone, you pull that joint down from the top right and then D and D. Not Dungeons and Dragons, but do not disturb. Okay? Yeah, uh, you, you, do, you do the equivalent. Great, great, great. Now put your phone back up in the air. One more time, one more time, one more time. One time for the one time. One time for the one time. Great. Now, if you use your phone to take notes regularly on Sunday, put your right hand up. Now, throw your other hand up. Yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you use your phone to take notes, throw your other hand up. Great. So, uh, everybody with two hands up, keep your hands up. Yeah. Now, wave them like you just don't care. Yeah, great. Now, everybody who doesn't have two hands up, put your phone in your pocket. Put that joint in your pocket. Pockets, 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 pockets. Either your two hands are up or your phone's in your pocket. Two hands are up or your phone's are in your pocket. Great, 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 great. So everybody with two hands up means that they are uh, using their phone to uh, take notes, which is great. Um, but yeah, I just wanna do that because uh, y'all can put your hands down. Y'all can put your hands down now. I appreciate y'all for playing along uh, with me uh, there. So this past week, what, what, did, what did we call this past week that we just had? What was the name of the week? Okay, yeah, Passover was part of this week. What was the whole week called? A minute? No, 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 no. Don't open up the Bible, John. Uh, it was called Holy Week, right? Oh, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, so it's Holy Week, as some people said correctly on this side over here. Um, and in Holy Week, uh, it started last Sunday with Palm Sunday. What was Palm Sunday about? Quick recap. No? Yeah. 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 Palm leaves. Hosanna. Donkey. Jesus was riding in. There was like hallelujah. And they were really excited. Hosanna in the highest, right? Um, so let's do a quick recap. So that was last Sunday. And there's a bunch of things that happened in between. But we're going to fast forward. Uh, to the Thursday. I know some of y'all followed along with our Bible plan on the phone and so um, on the Bible app and so it kind of tracked us through this week that we had. Um, what happened on Thursday? Does anybody know what we call Thursday? Yeah, Maundy Thursday, Maundy Thursday. And um, that word uh, kind of just translates to uh, command. It was the night of the, uh, what happened on Maundy? Yeah, Last Supper happened. What else happened that night? What happened the night of the last? Yeah, a bunch of things went down that night, right? So we're just trying to track the timeline because today is Easter Sunday, but like it is not Easter Sunday unless we understand how we got here, right? And so um, on that Thursday, they had the Last Supper. Jesus washed his disciples' feet and he said one of them are going to betray. And then later that night, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was praying. And uh, that is when 
they came to take him uh, to be crucified, okay? So that was Thursday. Fast forward uh, Sunday. I mean, uh, fast forward Friday. What, what do we call Friday? Good Friday. What happens on Good Friday? He died on the cross. Yes, the procession was had and Jesus was crucified on the cross, but we call it Good Friday. For the people there, I'm sure it did not feel like a good Friday. They didn't understand the full context, and so they didn't probably think it was a good Friday. And so you have to understand the mindset of all of these people. They follow Jesus. Many of them gave up their lives. We know that there were disciples who dropped their lives as fishermen because Jesus told them that they will become fishers of men. And so they gave their entire life away to follow Jesus. Get it? Less than a week ago on Sunday, they were all singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. They believed Jesus would be the king that would save them. Save them from what? They were hoping the Romans, right? The oppression of the Romans. And so we fast forward a couple of days and now their savior has been crucified on a cross. His mother watched a child die. Mary sat there as her child was tortured before her. This was Good Friday. And then there was Saturday. We call it Silent Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. Uh, for these Jews. And on this Saturday, it was silent. Surely there was grieving. Surely there was mourning. But it was silent. And then there's Sunday. Let's flip our Bibles to John chapter 28. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 28. You said what? I said John, oh, hey. I said Matthew, yeah, it was Matthew. Matthew 28, whoops. I flip it back a couple of pages. Yeah, Matthew 28. I'm gonna put John on this John. All right. So it's Matthew. So again, we just had Good Friday. Our Lord was crucified. Silent Saturday, the world kind of just waited. Hope was seemingly lost. And then there is Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Um, and we're going to jump right into the text uh, to see what happened um, on this Easter Sunday. And so uh, can I have somebody read... Uh, Actually, for the sake of time, I'm going to read uh, this section first. We're going to read John chapter, I mean, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 uh, through 10. And then we're going to jump down to uh, 16 through 20. And so let's begin. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for, 
And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For the Jesus that you seek that was crucified, he is not here, for he has risen. Let me repeat that. He is not here, for he has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they, the woman, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took off uh, and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. It is Resurrection Sunday, and on this Sunday, the tomb that these women were going to, um, that they believed contained their Savior, was empty. The tomb was empty, y'all. Not only was it empty, there were two commands that were there to not fear because understand what just happened. Their king was crucified, the people were after them, and yet they said, do not fear. And there was Jesus greeting these women. Greeting these women. Mary Magdalene, we learned just a few weeks ago from Kevin that she was a woman who was possessed by many demons. She was a person who was looked at as an outcast, someone who was going through so many different things Yet, she was one of the first people that Jesus met and told her, go and tell the rest about me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. Lord, I pray that every heart here would be um, ready to receive that the words that you have for them. I pray that every heart here would be receptive, Lord, to the work that you have done, the finished work on the cross. And I pray that you would help us receive what you have. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we fast forward in the chapter, Matthew 28. We jump down to 16 through 20. At this point, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. These were the final words of Jesus to his disciples. On this Resurrection Sunday, I think there are two questions that we need to answer. And my hope and my prayer is that we would be able to walk away um, with these questions answered definitively for ourselves. It's one, why is the resurrection so important? And two, 
how do we respond to it? See, the resurrection was really interesting because it pointed to two realities, right? Two things that were true, right? One that was, um, th things that were true in the present and things that would be true in the future. And so as we ask these two questions of why is the resurrection important and how we must respond to it, we must see what the resurrection did. Let's start with what happens in the future as a result of the resurrection. Because the answer to what is going on in the future actually motivates so much of what happens in the Bible, right? The result of the resurrection is actually the cause of so much of what happens in the Bible. See, in Hebrews 12, it says that it was, they're talking about Jesus here, and they said it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross just a couple days prior to this Resurrection Sunday. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Y'all, Jesus endured the cross. I don't know if you guys have seen the Passion of the Christ, have seen little like reels or anything where they describe what crucifixion was like, but it was horrific. There are doctors that analyze the crucifixion and say the chance of likelihood is slim to none. Yet Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. What would cause somebody to endure a cross? The Bible tells us it was for the joy set before him. But so what was this joy that was set before Jesus? What was this joy that would cause anybody to endure any of these things? Well, let's see. Let's flip our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Um, can I have somebody read from verses 50 um, down to 58? So eight verses. Is it dead? Hello? First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 to 58. I tell you this brothers Can you please repeat the scripture? Uh, fifth, uh, first Corinthians um, chapter 15 verses 50 50 to 58. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 to 58. I tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immorality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immorality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. 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 Um, and so in this letter to the Corinthians, I'm going to read verses 54 and 55 and 56. Um, again, I'm just going to read that second half. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Amen. Somebody repeat after me. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Amen. Amen. And so we ask these two questions of what, uh, why is the resurrection important? And what must we do in response to it? One of the primary things the resurrection shows us is that Jesus destroyed the power of death. Repeat after me. Jesus destroyed the power of, of death. But what is this power of death? What is the power of death? Any takers, guesses? What is the power of death that Jesus destroyed? Yeah. Yeah. Right. There are many aspects of death. And for now, I want to expand our understanding of what death is. So when we read the scriptures, I think what comes to mind is a physical death. And that is true. But there are layers of death that are incredibly pervasive that attach themselves to everything that we have. See, when was the first time death was mentioned in the Bible? Okay, somebody said the flood, not quite. Quite Cain and Abel, almost. You know what? Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, yeah, so, all y'all are like, y'all are in Genesis, which is great, because that is where sin, I mean, death is first mentioned. Okay, the apple. See, we're getting really close. See, Genesis? Genesis what? Two? Verse 15? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Give him a round of applause. Give him a round of applause. Exact scripture reference. Exact scripture reference there. Yeah. Actually, can you stand up and read that for us? Can you give him a mic, uh, Chris? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, can you read out 16 and 17? Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the men and put them in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the, the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die Amen. you will certainly 
Diane. So this is the first. Yeah, yeah. Give him a round. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Clap it up. Clap it up. Clap it up. Um, and right. So this is the first mention of death. If you eat of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. We fast forward one chapter, and what happens? They ate the apple. And what happened? Okay. Yeah, snake came. Really messed things up for him. Right? So they ate the apple. And did they drop dead on the spot? No. So, so what did God mean when he said, if you eat of this apple, you will surely die? Mm, spiritual death. Yeah, what's up? Dead to him. Mm. Yeah, close, close. What's up? Your joy will die. There is death in many avenues. Uh, Amma is just going to repeat herself. I said it means you're dead to him. Dead to him. So we see when, when God was like, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. They did die. But they died in multiple realms. Right? We know that what happened was a death in their closeness and relationship with the Lord. Right? They were connected with the Lord in such a way that he was able to walk with them, but then he sinned, and sin separates us from God because he is holy, and so there was a death to what that relationship looked like, right? And we also know that that death began a process that killed them naturally, right? There was a physical death associated with their sin, and the issue here is that that's not where things end. Because the separation from God was just not, it wasn't just on their life on earth, but because if people sinned, it means that that death and that separation, right? That's what death is, separation from God would be eternal. Dang. And so we see the impacts of death in all aspects of our life. See, because we know death is not just a physical thing. It is that separation from God, and it produces things that come out of sin. So we know that there is a death of hope. Some of you are yourselves, or you know classmates, you know people around you whose hope has died. This was a result of that death. Your hope for your future is gone. Your hope for your relationship with your parents is gone. Your hope is dead. This is a form of death. You have death of dreams. There are schools you may have not gotten into. There are hopes that you have or job opportunities that you wanted that died as a result of this death. You guys have died in your identities. The life the Lord had for you and called you to you do not see it, and so you live with a death of your identities. Death is pervasive. Death is pervasive. And so this is the power of death. This is the power of death. There are layers and there are multitudes of it. Pervasive. pervasive means it goes really deep. It goes like a tree roots. Uh, in the ground are super pervasive, as in like you can find the roots maybe 10, 20 feet under. It gets into everything. Um, yeah, that's what pervasive means. Uh, 
And so we see that death t uh, basically touched everything. And so when we read this section of 1 Corinthians and we hear that in Jesus' resurrection, that he has destroyed the power of death, then that is saying something very powerful for us. It is saying something incredibly powerful for us. See, as Christians, we believe that our time on this earth, that we are temporary residents here on earth, that we're just passing through, and that our eternal home is in heaven. And in order to, for this to take place, in order for us to be in heaven, we know that there is going to be a second coming of Christ. And the scripture tells us in that second coming that there will be a resurrection of the dead and those who died in Christ will be resurrected to become up with him. And we know that in this resurrection that the body that we have, according to scripture, will be perfect. Free from blemish, free from pain, free from heartache. See, Jesus' resurrection was resurrection numero uno. It was the first one. If we flip um, a few verses earlier uh, to 23 um, and 24, uh, we'll read right here uh, in 23 and 24. Then it reads, then, this is in relation to the end, right? It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying rule and every authority and power. 25 reads, uh, for he must reign until he has put an end to all enemies under his feet. Um, I'm going to circle back to verse 23. That's the one I meant to read. Uh, okay. Yeah, so the verses were 22 and 23. My bad. Um, and so it reads, And so as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in its own order, Christ the first fruit, then coming those who belong to Christ. And so we see the resurrection of Christ was the initiating factor here, right? So the resurrection that will happen at the end started with Christ. If Christ did not raise from the dead, then there is no resurrection at the end. And so if you take your time to read 1 Corinthians 15, he hammers this home, right? The reason the resurrection is so important is because it was an initiator for the things to come. See, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then what power do we have over death? What power do we have to the things that hold us in bondage? And Christ raising from the dead confirmed who he said he was. He said, I'm going to die, and in three days, I'm going to rise. And if he, if he was not truthful to that statement, we could not believe him. And so Christ is the first resurrected body, a template or uh, image of what is to come for the rest of us. And this is a hard reality, right? Because we, we read this victorious statement at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your victory oh death where is your sting it's like a jeer at, it's like we're, we're kind of like poking at death like yo like you don't got it no more like our king went in and like took the dub and so like oh death where is your sting but the reality is death does sometimes sting on this side of eternity 
See, sometimes we pray for miracles to happen, but they do not. Sometimes those we love pass away. And we mourn and we grieve because we know that we miss them. And we know scripture tells us that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And so we see even scripture acknowledges the pain of death. But in that comfort that the Bible promises, we know that part of that comfort comes from the hope and the promise of resurrection. That if our loved ones who passed away, who we may have never even have met, whether those are brothers, sisters, moms or dads or aunties and uncles, if they have passed away in Christ, then we shall see them again. A time is coming when you will be reunited with these loved ones that you miss so dearly. A time is coming when, when, when these people that, that you held near and dear, that you have no more, that you will see again. This is the hope of the resurrection, that if they died in Christ, then you will get to see them again. And this is a good hope to have. This is a powerful hope to have. That you will see your loved ones again. And you will not just see them, but when the new heaven comes, as Revelations 21.4 says, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death and no more mourning, no more crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. The resurrection points to the hope that we have that the things that are hard in this world are temporary, that they will not last. There's an eternity coming in a perfected body, in a heavenly body, without blemish. And see, this is the joy that was set before the Lord. When Hebrews 12 says it was for the joy set before the Lord that he endured the cross, it is because he knew that in enduring the cross, this would be true. It would be true that there is an eternity. It would be true that there would be a resurrected body. It would be true that our mourning that we have for those that we care about who are lost and who have passed away will not last forever. He knew that if he endured the cross that we would be with him forever. And so this was the joy that was set before him. This was what was placed in front of him to which he endured the cross for us to have. Amen. And so that is one of the primary reasons the resurrection is so important because it reminds us that there is an eternity coming free from hurt, free from pain, free from death and mourning. And we see at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 that because we know these things, verse 58 says, therefore, as a result of everything that was said before it, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
See, if Jesus, knowing these things about the future, allowed him to endure the cross, knowing that whatever is happening here is as difficult as it is, it's momentary compared to eternity, then that can give us the strength that we need to push through things that are hard. And so that is how the future informs the res the, how the resurrection informs our future and how that future can give us motivation for our current time. The second thing that we're going to look at briefly here is what happens in the present, right? Because we talked about the resurrection of the dead. We talked about how, yeah, that we will be with the Lord forever. And so let's talk about what Jesus' resurrection means for us right now and today. In addition to being motivated to press into the things that are hard. Can we flip our Bibles a little bit forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14? All right. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 uh, through 21. For the sake of time, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it. And so uh, the scripture reads, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 5:17 again. It's actually my birthday verse, May 17th. Um, and it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Somebody say the ministry of reconciliation. Hey, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to reconcile? To come back together. That's a good one. He gave us the ministry where we get to come back together to him. And it reads, And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ Jesus, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who had no sin, sin. So that in him, we might be brought to the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. See, a few weeks ago, I got to share a message about identity. Um, and yeah, I think y'all enjoyed that message and got a few things from it. Does anybody remember like anything from that message on identity? 
see some of y'all who took notes flipping frantically to find your notes. That's okay. Any, anybody wanna, it's okay. The gist of that message, up in the back, Belinda, yeah. Um, what people say about you does not define who you are. Mm. Amen. Nah. I, am, I am called to be a saint. Called to be a saint, amen. Yes, there's nothing we can do to qualify for the unconditional love of God. The gist of that message was that Jesus changes your present tense reality. What that means is that who you currently are right now and sitting in this room, when you accept the Lord, your present, like you, your identity changes immediately. You go from someone who is identified as a sinner predominantly to someone who is identified as a saint exclusively, which means you're just a saint, right? We mentioned a bunch of different identities. We said you would be justified, that you'd be Christ's friend, that you would be a saint. Scripture tells us that you are a temple of God, that you are holy, right? And all of these identities become true like on the spot when you accept the Lord. And again, I read 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I think I always read this verse um, and I was a little bit confused. I read it and I was like, all right, so the old is gone, great. The new is here, great. Then I was like, wait, like where that though? Like where's the new? Like, it doesn't feel new. I'm struggling with the same things. Like, why did this thing, like, not, like, why does it not feel, like, new, right? Because the Lord says that when we get saved, that we get this new identity, like, on the spot. And that is true. And the key difference it took me a while to learn here is that there is a difference between being alive in your spirit, that is, you have accepted Christ, and then boom, you are now justified and you get all of these identities. There's a difference between that and walking in the spirit day by day. I think the reality for all of us, for many of us in this room, is that we have accepted the Lord, that he has deposited his spirit inside of us and he has given us this new identity. But we are not people who are actually walking in that spirit he gave us. See, Christ's resurrection destroyed the power of sin over our lives because death and sin are associated. And so if we say that Christ resurrected from the dead and destroyed the power of death, that means he also destroyed the power of sin. It tells us this in Romans. And so if you choose to follow him, then that first part is done. Like that deposit is in you. You are his. But in order for you to walk in the benefits of Christ's finished work, um, you're going to have to die. The benefits of the resurrection necessitate death. For you to be able to walk in the power and the spirit that God had purchased for you on the cross, you're going to have to die. 
and death to what? Yourself. This might sound like a lot, but the reality is that the offer here is simple. See, what God is asking you to do today and every single day is to choose the death of shame, to choose the death of feeling dirty, not feeling good enough, powerless, the death of your compulsions, the death of your anger, so that he can live in you. This is the offer on the table, all right? That's the offer. And so what's the alternative? What's the alternative to this offer that the Lord has placed that we die to ourselves? Got to weigh the cost here. Well, the world will tell you that the peak of fixing yourself is self-actualization, right? This process of working harder on you and who you are and not and once you realize that, not caring anything about what anybody else feels or says, and this is how you will fix yourself. And it sounds pretty good because the reality is that there are parts of that that are actually true. But the reality is that what the word will tell you is that in order for you to be fixed, that you must work harder to be you. And I ask, like, how's that working for you? How is it working for you to be the best version of yourself, by yourself, through yourself? How is that working for you? Has it worked yet? <laughs> and again, we have the other alternative on the table that I mentioned, to die to yourself. That is the offer here. God is like, yo, like, you actually don't uh, have the ability to be perfect. You can try all of these things. You can read all of these books. You can read all these self-help books. You can do all of these things um, to try to be perfect, um, to try to get people to love you, to like you, right? But the reality is that there was somebody who was perfect, and they killed him on the cross. And so God's offer here is like, great, you can stop doing all of that because it's not working. And you can, just offer, you can just receive my offer. And his offer is really simple, bro. It's like, accept me, Jesus, and what I did on the cross. And in exchange for that, I'm going to give you holiness. I'm going to make you blameless. Those things that you were searching for, that you were working for, I'm just going to give them to you if you would just receive this offer. And so you have a choice. So as a believer, again, this is for both believers and non-believers. If you're a believer right now, and the Lord is telling you right now that you have a choice whether or not to tap into the supernatural dwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, or you can keep folding to your flesh. You can keep folding to your compulsions. You can keep folding to the things that have you in bondage, whether that is anger, whether that is porn, right? Whether that's lying or stealing. The Lord is telling you, like, you, as a believer, right now, you have a choice 
to make. To tap into that power that he purchased with his blood on the cross, or you can continue to fold. And this decision that you have really only exists after you've accepted the Lord. And so if you haven't accepted the Lord, like that's step one. And it's a great step. But after you've accepted him, you must tap into that power daily. I feel like many of us are going to leave here and be like, I tapped into the power. Great. But that's a power you must tap into daily. Your salvation is secure. He already said that. He's like, yo, your salvation, like, I got that. But your daily work to live out that salvation, to walk in the spirit, that, on the other hand, you got to do that joint daily. 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 And it's not something you can do on your own, by your own willpower, by your own mind, exclusively, by itself. You must tap into the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you daily to do this. Again, this is not to say that there is no good thing in speaking well of yourself. That there is, I'm not here to say that you shouldn't be confident in who you are or you shouldn't go and receive therapy to heal the things that are broken. But I am telling you that those things in like by themselves will not be sufficient. They never will. You must partner those things with the spirit. You must start with the spirit. And so the resurrection of Christ, right, enables us to live out this daily. This resurrection that we're celebrating today gives us life today to walk in the spirit. That is the resurrection power of Christ. And that joint is OC, bro. Like, I'm going to say something really quick about Paul, because like this dude was built a little different. He might not have been built that different, maybe a little bit. But Paul is an example of a Christian who understood this. This man says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That dude was all about it, all about it. In Romans, he says, for I consider the present sufferings of this time not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed in us. He wasn't saying that like the things that are hard don't matter. He wasn't saying that these things are meaningless, but he says when you compare the struggle that you have, the decisions you have to make right now to be holy, to the eternal glory of God, that junk does not compare. Like, bruh, it's not even in the same room, ballpark, universe, like, it's not, it doesn't compare. And so it was this hope that he had that allowed him to endure so much. Bruh, First uh, Corinthians, uh, I want to say like 15-ish, but I'm just going to say some of the things. Paul endeared a lot. He said he was in prison more frequently. He was flogged. He was exposed to death over and over again. Five times he received 40 lashes from the Jews, minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods, once pelted with stones. Three times he was shipwrecked, spent nights at sea. He said he was in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger from the country, in danger from the sea, in danger from false believers. Bro, my man was in danger all the time, all day, every day. He was in danger. 
right? You can read, you can read this uh, in 1 Corinthians. It says, he labored and he toiled. He's gone without sleep. He's been hungry. He has thirsted and he has gone without food, cold and naked. And yet in Romans, he says, but this light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Bruh, he said it was light work compared to the glory to come. What? That is what a kingdom perspective does to a person. That's what the hope of the resurrection does. We talked about the future tense of things. That is what it does to a person. See, in Acts 16, uh, Paul and one of his boys, Silas, uh, casted out a demon from a girl, right? And this girl, uh, I believe she was like a slave girl, um, and her masters were actually using like the demonic stuff to make money. They were like, yo, this girl can do all these things, like bring us all this money, like yeah. And then your boy Paul and Silas roll up and they're like, demon out. Demon leaves, the girl is healed, she is redeemed, right? She is, she is healed from her demons and these people are mad, right? They're like, yo, like this, this girl was bringing us money and you just like took our source of money. And so they imprisoned, they took, they dragged Paul and Silas, they had them beat and thrown into jail. Like bruh, for casting out a demon from a girl. So what do these people do in jail? What would y'all do if this happened to you? You were just rabadoshing, you were just praying, bruh. You was really like rabadoshing over somebody and then they're healed and then like somebody was like, hey, like our source of income is gone. Like we're throwing you in jail and they beat you too. Like what would you do? What's your response? Hey, no, keep it 100, bruh. What's, what's, what's your response? Yeah, fight them back. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to catch these hands. Right? But let's, let's, let's see. What did Paul and Silas do in the midst of this? Right? Um, Acts 16.25 says, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang songs to God, and the prisoners heard them. So they weren't just singing and praising. They were doing that joint loud. You know what I'm saying? Like when we were singing in here, going in a circle, like they, they were loud. Right? In the midst of their oppression, in the midst of them being abused, their response was praise. This is what the power of the resurrection does. It enables this to happen. And what's crazy is that as they are praying and worshiping, an earthquake happens, and the jail cells break loose. And what does everybody in the jail do? They bounce. They run. And so the, the, the guard of the jail is like, oh my goodness, all of these jailers just went free. And he's like, I have to kill myself. Because, no, here's the reality. The reality is that if the people in charge of this jailer found him, they would ask him, how did all of these people get loose? You know what he's going to say? Some people were praising and an earthquake happened and the doors opened. Huh? What? He knew what was coming for him. Right? And so this man was ready to take his own life after this happened. And what do Paul and Silas do? They don't run off like the other jailers who were probably belong in there. What did they do? They calmed this man down. They told him, do not take your life. And they presented to him the gospel. They told him that if you take your life right now, the things would just not end well. But let me give you an alternative. 
And so they told this man who was about to take his life, who was guarding them for falsely being imprisoned about Jesus and saved his life, not just in the present, but for eternity. And the scripture tells us that they go to this man's home and it's likely that the people in the home also received Jesus. Like me personally. <laughs> if I was falsely imprisoned, like me personally. Like me, like personally, personally, if it was me, like me personally. <laughs> me personally. <laughs> but this is the power of the resurrection. Um, this is the power and the hope that Paul and Silas had that motivated them to do something that did not make sense to the people around them. Because for them to live is to Christ, is to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so I'm going to wrap up this message here um, with just a couple of closing points. The reality is that the hope of the resurrection requires a response. Scripture tells us that by being motivated by the resurrection, that we are to go out and do good work. We are to endure the things that are hard so that Christ will be proclaimed because your future is secured, y'all. But if you knew that like today you would die and tomorrow you would be in paradise, then like living is like, is great, but like paradise awaits. If you truly believe that you would live your lives differently. And so I believe there are different people in this room. Um, there are different people in this room. And so um, there are some of you who do not know the Lord. You have never accepted the Lord as your savior. Um, and so this does not actually pertain to you right now uh, in terms of the life that you can live from the resurrection body. You must accept that life before it can live in you. There are some of you who already know the Lord. You've been walking with the Lord, um, but you actually haven't like been walking with the spirit intentionally. You have not allowed the power of the spirit to take hold of every aspect of your life. You're relinquishing things um, from the Lord. And so all of you have an option, um, a response to the power of the resurrection. There's a response. And so I'm going to ask everybody to be on our feet and we're going to pray and we're going to respond um, to this.